Welcome to Alaska Black Caucus. Authentic, bold, committed. Good evening, everyone. I am Teresa Bevel, a member of the Alaska Black Caucus, serving on the Health Committee, an organization that champions the lives of Black people in the areas of health, economics, justice, and education. Today's conversation is going to be on end-of-life care during the pandemic. Thank you all for joining us for tonight's community conversation. Please remember that this conversation is being recorded for rebroadcast, so please keep yourselves on mute. If you have any questions, please use the chat and we'll try our best to get to them all after our panelists provide some introductory information. Please welcome tonight's moderator, Reverend Dr. Patricia Wilson-Cohen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Teresa Bervell. I'm Reverend Dr. Patricia Wilson-Cohen. I'm the founder of Cohen Spiritual Counseling Center, where I take pride in counseling uh, our African-American population, our indigenous persons, our people of color, with the sincerity of meeting them where they are with a listening ear, a smiling face, a warm heart, to seek to understand rather than to being understood. I'm also a certified clinical pastoral educator with the Association of uh, Association of Clinical Pastor Education located in Atlanta, Georgia, and a fellow with the Association of Pastoral Care and Counselors. It is indeed an honor and privilege to be here tonight to speak on the term of hospice care and on palliative care for such a time as this during these unprecedented times and during this season of Advent and season of Christmas is upon us all. And perhaps it's hard to see the light or experience the light, but we are here tonight for such a time as this to purport to you the importance of really listening to and hearing hospice care and palliative care. Before we continue, we are here from Ms. Janine Lewis with blessing us with a song for opening. Ms. Lewis. Hello, good evening to everyone. Uh, yeah, my name is Janine Lewis. Uh, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, now I live in Texas with my husband. We retired from the military. And um, I think I was asked to be a part of this uh, because in the last year I lost both of my parents and so, um, I hope I can contribute to the conversation in some way or another, but this song and others like it have helped me to make it through. Um, and I'm gonna be singing about the King of glory and it's his power, it's his, his glory, it's his grace, it's his mercy that has helped me uh, through this time of, uh, of grieving and hurting. And, uh, and I'm encouraged today because of him. So here we go. <laughs> Why would we 
just want to be with you. King of glory, fill this place. Just want to be with you. Just want to be with you. Yes, the world will bow down and say you are God. And every man will bow down So let's start right now. Why would we wait? We can praise you now. In victory. Amen. Thank you so much, Mrs. Janine Lewis, for that beautiful selection. King of glory, just want to be with you. And that's the way it is with life and hospice care and with end of life and palliative care experiences. My experience has been that our persons of God and creations and of life, they just want to be in the Lord's presence. 
And when we enter their sacred space, whether it's home or whether it's in the hospital room or other medical areas, keep in mind the importance of you being with your loved ones, the importance of you bringing in the presence of the King of Glory. Thank you so much. Reverend Patricia Ann Ray, would you please introduce yourself to the group, to the beloved community tonight? Yes, I'm the Reverend Patricia Ann Ray, a 50 year resident of Alaska, uh, a member of the Shallow Missionary Baptist Church, where I am the membership care ministry director. Uh, I've been employed with Providence Alaska Medical Center for 10 years as a mental health chaplain. I am a Delta, and that's my story, and I'm going to stick to that. Thank you so much, Reverend Patricia Ann Ray. And as we come tonight, we are here representing the African-American community, the indigenous people, the people of color, people who look like you, people who look like me, people who have voices and people who've had no voices at all. The eloquence of this is when I was doing some research and preparing for tonight's presentation and thinking about hospice care and palliative care. The first African-American female doctor was none other than the late Rebecca Lee Crumpler. She did her medical training and she was a freed woman back then in 1864, our first African-American female physician. But upon her death, she didn't just die in vain, she left a legacy. And it was about the founding of the National Medical Association, a pioneering organization for African-American doctors. The first president was Dr. Robert F. Boyd, who was born into slavery. But it was in the genre of all of that experience that we people of color are still suffering from the failure to have answers to the arguments that this female physician and this male physician had issues and struggles with in 1864. And here we are in 2021, looking at the Advent season, the candle of joy in many of our communities of faith. And yet, for some, it's hard to find joy during these unprecedented and Christmas season times. But there is a light of hope when we can come together. And thank you, Mrs. Celeste Groudon, for such a time as this that we can come and at least have these critical conversations about our families and about our own lives. Blacks and Latino Americans still have the highest uninsured rates in the country, and we still shoulder disproportionate share of the nation's poor health outcomes, according to the study of the 1619 Project by our own Dr. Nicole Hannah Jones. And she's inviting you and she's inviting me to look at race ethnicity, the care or the no care or the good care or the mediocre care or the silence of the care. But we must have voices to help our people to understand what is 
palliative care. What is hospice care? And how have we experienced it? And is it giving up or is it taking the opportunity to look at things better? So Reverend Patricia Ann Ray, we'll start with you. What is palliative care? What is hospice care? Palliative care is for anyone with a serious illness. Uh, a patient can receive it at any age or any stage of illness. Palliative care focuses on providing patients with relief from symptoms and stress of a serious Ill illness. Palliative care goal is to improve quality of life for both the patient and the family. A patient can be in palliative care programs and still receive treatment to any cure of a disease. During the last phase of life, a time uh, they will be able to focus on a shift of cure to comfort measures or to hospice. So palliative care is there with a team of people to help uh, the family and the patient. Palliative care is, they have a special trained um, team that is able to help with the family or the patient. And usually it's uh, a doctor or doctors, nurses, social workers, massage therapists, physical and occupational therapists, uh, pharmacists, chaplain, and that's what used to make up the team. And the team members partner with the patient and the family and the doctors to provide an extra layer of a support to the family. Palliative care, uh, like I say, the goal is to improve quality of life for both the patient and the family. That's what palliative care is. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, Mrs. Janine Lewis, did you have something that you wish to add in that area as well, or to go ahead and help us to define hospice care? Nothing, nothing to add. Okay, well, let's look at hospice care because palliative care, it sounds like according to what Reverend Patricia Ann Ray has shared, is prolonging uh, that quality of life. Whereas hospice care is looking more at, uh, the doctor may say what you have a few months, a few weeks, uh, usually it's six months has, has been the norm for hospice care. And uh, hospice care is looking at that end of life, which focuses on the terminally ill patient's symptoms. It could be the symptoms, could be physical symptoms, uh, emotional, spiritual, uh, social in nature, um, palliative hospice care, with, with the practices of medical care systems and social insurance programs and health insurance programs has been some of the challenging parts that we've looked at because once the doctor says, okay, you only have a few months or a few weeks left, 
The first thing we want to look at is, okay, what is this going to cost us? Are we financially stable uh, to handle this? The care may be provided in a patient's home for hospice care or in a designated facility, such as a nursing home, a hospital unit, or a freestanding hospice program. Uh, and it's based upon, the, uh, according to each evaluation, so each person's need is for the good of the hospice care. Under hospice care, you have the medical and social services are supplied for the patient as well as for the families. And then there's the interdisciplinary team members, uh, the professional persons or volunteers who take a patient direct approach to helping manage the illness of our various uh, sick persons. So when we look at hospice care and palliative care, to just look at the cost of it is certainly uh, something important and imperative. And I, I'm beginning to say to people and to families that I'm counseling, just like we have celebrations when the baby is born, everybody's celebrating and we have what, these baby showers, someone is time to get married, what do we have? We have the, the, the marriage uh, ceremonies, the, the before they get married, we have these great celebrations. And you know what would be a great gift, my friends, is to say, you know what? I want to make the down payment on you, on your basic life insurance. Or do you have a job that's providing you with some form of life insurance in case this child dies or in case your spouse or partner dies? Here's an insurance plan to help you out because, you know, Biblically speaking, many of you know this statement and you hear it week after week. Jesus came that we may have life and that we may have it more abundantly. Well, then we've got to start thinking out of an abundance of saying, okay, I've got this child or I've got this new baby, or I've got this new marriage, or this new person in my life. Let me get some insurance. It's just as important to get the insurance as it is to buying the homes or renting the apartments or getting new places to live or the new vehicles and cars or the clothes that we wear. It's time to really operate out of a spirit of saying, I need insurance in case something happens. And to do that and to do that with pride and with dignity as loved ones are going to die. And, and it's okay to own people are going to die. We use terms like they're gone, they passed, they're no longer with us. People die every day. We see it from the statistics in the papers. We see it, uh, many of you are care providers in hospital settings or in homes or in various areas of life and living facilities. People are going to die and we must prepare ourselves for these experiences. So when we look at hospice care, when we look at palliative care as prolonging life, hospice care may be a shorter time uh, with one's life, but it's important to prepare oneself for it. So sometimes people think of hospice as giving up. Can you speak to that, Reverend Patricia? Is it giving up? What, what is, what 
what is really this, this transition or this moving to another phase of life or giving up? What is that all about? Well, the, the difference between hospice and palliative care is that hospice focus solely on comfort measures and those in the last phase of life. And uh, in most cases, uh, the care is provided for the patient at home and it is uh, provided in freestanding hospice houses, uh, hospitals, nursing homes, and other long-term care for facilities. And it's really a way of enjoying the last days of your life, mm -hmm. right there in your own home or in a nursing home or in a facility and uh, being assisted by uh, loved ones, your family, your relatives, and you still have that team approach for care. And so you're not alone and you got people that are trained uh, to do things. You got your medical, your social, your uh, spiritual needs being met. And because we're still in the realm there, you can always call us if you need us. And so um, hospice is uh, a way to enjoy the last days with your family. Okay, thank you for that. And what are some things, um, you know, how can families uh, assess these services? What can we share with family members to help them be a part of these, the services of hospice care or palliative care? Well, basically, federal and state websites, Division of Healthcare Services. What is so? Well, I've discovered when persons are in palliative care for, for the audience, beloved community tonight, uh, some things perhaps I think we need to consider uh, empowering or enlightening family members as you visit your loved ones in the hospital or if they're home in, in the final stages of hospice care. Um, some of the research says, what are people saying as they are dying? And what I've discovered is that people are saying this. I, if I had to do it all over again, I would reflect more on my life and those around me. If I had to live or do it all over again, I would take more risk in this life that I've been living. If I had to do it all over again, I would say thank you more often. So how can we help family members to, to just go to the bedside or in, in many cases by the phone or through Zoom or iPads? What, what are some things we can uh, possibly say to families to help them to say goodbye? Or rather than, you know, this is it, or it's over, or, you know, um, what, what are some things we can help family members to say? I love you. Mm -hmm. Thank mm -hmm. you. I'm going to miss you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I care about you. Thank you. For, oh, go ahead, Reverend. Are you saying some more? And touching, you know, to touch a person while you can. Uh, there's even healing and touching, but touching has a lot to do with um, 
bringing a relationship back together with mm -hmm. family members. Mm -hmm. John Maxwell, uh, a theologian that many of you are probably familiar with, says it this way. He says, he says, some of the things that we forget in life is, you know, we take people and lives for granted. And we don't own the importance of saying thank you. Two important words that we forget to say is thank you. He said, the other things that we forget to, oops, the other things that we forget to sometimes say as people are about to depart from us is to really let them know how much we appreciate them. He says, how well do we treat people if we gain absolutely nothing? And are we transparent with others while they are alive here with us? And do we hear people as we listen to them? Um, medically speaking, it has been said that the hearing is the last thing to leave one that is dying. So be careful as you're visiting in the hospital rooms, what you are saying or invite family members to come outside and continue the conversations because people can hear what, what you are still saying right there in the room with them. And it's okay, uh, I think as Reverend Patricia Ann Ray has said, to let people know that you love them, but it's okay to tell them this while they are right there with you. I love you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I care. And I want you to know that I'm here with you. So as, but, but these are things that I feel we really need to say from day one of a person's life. Don't wait for a person to die and then let them know how much you appreciate them or thank you, I love you. But to say this, make this a part of your everyday vocabulary. So um, I see in the chat, uh, Dr. Paula Williams has said, I would even go on to say hospice is determining your end of life care according to your terms. I release you. Yes, that's very important. Thank you, Dr. Williams. To, to, for family members and loved ones to release the loved ones so that they may transition to the other side. Because you've heard people say, oh, she must be waiting for the son to come visit or the daughter to come visit. But we have to learn how to say, I love you and I let you go. I appreciate you, I'm gonna be okay. I, I don't wanna let you go, but letting loved ones know it's okay to go. I, I remember my own experience with the death of my grandfather uh, saying to him in 1993, uh, I outright said at his bedside, granddaddy, I love you, but I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to let you go. It's okay to go towards the light. It's okay to go towards the other side. Yeah. And, 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 Go ahead, Reverend. Giving them permission. Yes, yes. Giving them permission to go. Some other little short human relation things we should be mindful of with hospice and palliative care. To, to say the most important word is we. 
is not a, I is the least important word that you can share with yourself or with others, but it's about we. And uh, Dr. Wade Nobles, an African-American psychologist said it well. He calls it the we you see model, which is a Swahili word that means we are because therefore I am and because I am, therefore we are. We as the beloved community tonight, listening to this presentation, we are all here because of somebody else. We're either here through parents, through grandparents, aunties, uncles, the pastor, the Sunday school teacher, the lady next door in the neighborhood. We are here because someone else helped us to get here. So when it's time for someone in your family or a loved one to die, please do all you can. If you can't make it to the bedside, then talk to the medical team. And, and nurses are so overwhelmed and doctors are overwhelmed in hospitals today, but perhaps the, the chaplain. I mean, uh, I've worked in hospitals where people have called saying, can you have the chaplain to at least go up and, and see my loved one? Can somebody go up and, and be with them or to at least let them know I called or I care? So it's that we model. And um, Naim Akbar, who's also an African-American psychologist and has his own practice there in, uh, in Tallahassee, Florida, used to be a professor there, the Dean of Psychology at Florida State University. He subscribes to the community of self. And he says, it takes the whole community. And, and on the screen, you've heard the, the statement of, it takes a village, it takes a village to live. And it should take a village to help others to die. No one should have to go to the other side alone. And you've also heard the, the statement of, well, they died as soon as you left the room or they died when you said goodbye. Yes, all of these stories have, have come to surface in one's life, but it takes the we to say, I release you, I let you go, I love you, and then move out of the space and give them permission to go to the other side. The three most important words is all is forgiven. Don't waste time and your life and energy holding on grudges, but be able to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Three words are all is forgiven. The four most important words, what is your opinion? But you ask them this while they're alive and with you. What's your opinion? Get the family member's opinion. Don't have family members around the bed or in the home doing hospice care and nobody's, and you're not on the same sheet of music. Get each other's opinions, whether it's the elder daughter or son or the youngest daughter or son. And, and Reverend Ray, we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, living will and uh, what is it that the, the, the other, the form, you know what I'm talking about. The, we call it the living will, but it's also the um, advanced directive. We need yes. to talk about that tonight. But the, the five most important words, you did a good job. You did a good job. All of this holding on the grudges of she left me as and she abandoned me. She was my mama. He went to jail. He never was my father. Now is they gave birth to you. So find something good to say to loved ones. 
the six most important words, I want to understand you better. But you say this while they are with you. I want to understand you better. Or thank you for understanding me. Or thank you for giving me life. And, and so, so, so all of these things, we say these at the bedside during life and death experiences. But Reverend Ray, what about the advanced directive? So if you don't have a will in your personal life, in your home, with your family, then immediately when you go to the hospital, you should fill out an advanced directive. And that lets them know what you want without them making a decision for you. So it's between you and your family. It's really you signing what you want to happen and your family agreeing with it and seeing that it's uh, taken and being carried out the way that it should be carried out. So if you do not have that, a one personal with your family, then when you go to the hospital, you should ask for the advanced directive and fill it out. And we have a notary somewhere around there that can notarize it and they would have to follow your wishes. Amen. And this is very important. We can't emphasize the living will or the advanced directive. Uh, we can't overemphasize it to you. It's so imperative today. It, it pains me to see family members at the bedside, uh, and, 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 and nobody knows what mama or daddy or sister or brother or the siblings really wanted. I, I, in, in my church and um, the, the, the woman uh, came to me about three Sundays ago. She said, pastor, this is what I want. I don't want to be cremated. I want the casket to be open. And I want people to say what they need to say. And I want you to say this. And this is what I want in the obituary. Everything's written out. And I didn't want to deal with that that Sunday morning before preaching, but I sat there and I looked at her and I realized this is real. She's saying what she wants. And I said, now do your immediate family members, do they have a copy of this? Yes, they have a copy. I thanked her. We had prayer. She had been leading songs in the church the past couple of Sundays. Tonight, she's in the hospital. I went by to see her yesterday. I said, this is Pastor Patricia. She didn't recognize me. Life happens that fast, people. Growing up in Cocoa, Florida with my grandparents, I was a teenager and I heard them saying, this is the kind of casket I want. I paid for the plot. I, I paid for my funeral. All I need you to do is show up. And I'm thinking, well, y'all going to die? You know, I didn't want to hear that as a teenager. But as soon as a child is born, my friends, when we celebrate the birth, we need to start celebrating the death. We need to start saying to our children, you know, what color casket do you want? And the child, as teenagers or as grown folk, they may say, Mom, I want to be cremated. Let's hear this, these stories and let's share these stories because, again, it takes the community. And having that advanced directive also helps the medical team to know if how long if you want to be on a ventilator or if you do not want to wish to be on a ventilator. That's the importance of that advanced directive. Uh, do you want to still be fed or do you want to just be set free? These are things that we must confront and talk about. And I just found out recently 
how many of y'all know anything about the TOD, the T-O-D, a transfer on death deed? This is a document that you can pass land or real estate to a designated beneficiary outside of the probate process. You don't want to just say, I will uh, Patricia Ray my house, or I will her my car, or I will her my land in Georgia or in Texas or Alabama. No, you want to have her name on the deed. This will help you to not have to take your property to probate. These are important tenants, people, that we need to have in place in our lives. So I don't know if Janine is, is back with us or not, but I had spoken to her earlier. Uh, I see Celeste's hand is up, but I wanted, uh, Celeste, do you wanna speak now? Are we trying to get Janine back to talk about her experience and coping with the death of her mom, if, if Janine is ready to talk about that? Absolutely, I would love to hear from Janine. Um, I, I know that sometimes there are, we have time to plan, but when a parent or a loved one passes from COVID-19, there's not uh, sometimes time to plan. Um, and so I'd love to hear from Janine um, just to share how she is coping with the passing of her mother from COVID-19. So Janine. Hi, yeah. Um, I'm doing well. I, I, I better than I would have expected. Uh, the loss of my mother was very unexpected for us, um, so much so uh, because we had lost my father uh, 75 days before we lost my mother. My dad had had a stroke. Um, you talked about the advanced directive and he had one of those and it made things a lot easier for us in the hospital and making decisions and things like that. And, uh, but we didn't expect him to pass either. His passing was unexpected. Um, one of the things that I'm happy about is that, uh, that we did have a, a great relationship. I had a great relationship with both of my parents. And so um, I think that's prob probably um, helped with my grief process as well. Um, I miss them greatly, but uh, my mom, she came to Texas uh, to help my sister and I in preparing to bury my dad and things. And um, so she was here with us for a couple of weeks. She, uh, she went back home to Anchorage and had to come back a few weeks later because her sister passed. Um, her sister had uh, cancer and she passed away. And my mom contracted COVID in between some of that, that travel. Um, she, she got back home and of course the COVID got into her, into her lungs and pneumonia developed. And uh, after a week or so, she, she tried to fight it out at home. She didn't want us to know she was as sick as she was, um, but she, uh, she ended up in the hospital and as it would progress, she ended up on the ventilator. She didn't. She expressed that she didn't want to go on the ventilator, but the doctors told us that um, she wouldn't make it through the night if they didn't put her on the ventilator. And so they did that. And you know, for me, you were talking about um, letting 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 your loved ones go. Uh, I'm a believer. I'm a strong believer, and I have been for years. And for me, 
I, I did not imagine that my mother would pass. It never even entered my mind. I wouldn't allow myself to, to, uh, to, to believe that. Um, I was believing with everything in prayer and had, you know, um, others who were believing along with us and I was holding on with everything. And I, in fact, I believe as a believer, I believe that that's what kept her here as long as she was here. Because as, as soon as we made the decision to have her removed from the, um, from the ventilator, she, she passed within minutes. It was just a, a couple of minutes, but um, for me, as, as a strong believer, e even with that, um, one of the things that, that helped me was I decided immediately that I was not going to shake my finger at God and say, why did you allow this to happen? You know, you could have saved my mother, you know, pointing my finger at him. But I, I, I said that uh, my history with you says that you are good and good only. And so, um, and so even in this, even though I don't understand, I choose to trust you and to know that you're going to work this thing out and help us to make it through it. Uh, but one of the, even as a strong believer, I was at some point, I was like, God, I need for I need some I need some assurance that I'm going to see my mother again. My mother's a believer. And I wanted to know that I'm going to see her again. And I started looking at um, started finding these YouTube videos of people talking about these near-death experiences and and them talking about um, what they experienced, what they saw, that process, that death process, and um, what they saw on the other side, seeing family members, greeting them on the way over, the light, the tunnel, you know, all those things. And there's, there's so much research that's been done on this. And they had to start researching it because there were so many um, people that were telling similar stories. There was a thread that ran through all the stories. Although the stories were unique to the person, there were things about their stories that were very similar, you know, like the tunnel, like having family members, like a, a, a greeting committee, you know, those kinds of things, um, seeing loved ones in the hospital. And, um, and so those things just convinced me that I'm going to see my mother again, that first of all, she's fine. And if she could come back, she wouldn't. Uh, and my father as well, both of them were believers. But the fact that, um, that I'm, I'm going to see them again has encouraged my heart and has helped to um, heal my heart and dry, dry my tears. I have times that I do, um, I still grieve. I've, been, I've, I've gone through counseling. I've been through group therapy. I've gone through, you know, you name it, whatever I could reach out to, to find, to, to get some help. Um, I've done that, and um, but um, I think that that God has been the the one stabilizing uh, factor in all of it, and He has helped me to make it to this point where I can smile. And when I when I think about them, um, I can smile and think about good times, and I can I I have joy in knowing that I gave them their flowers while they while they lived, and I told them that I loved them. It, you know, anytime we got off the telephone, anytime we were, I was in their presence, I love you, you know, and they shared the same sentiment with me. I remember saying to my dad, he, he had had a stroke and he was, um, he was on a ventilator as well. 
and uh, in and out of con consciousness. Of course, he couldn't talk or anything like that. And um, uh, But I remember saying to him, uh, Daddy, you're the strongest man I know. And he opened his eyes and he, all that, although that ventilator was in his, his mouth, he did know what I said. He smiled. He put a big smile on his face. And so you're correct in saying that, you know, while they're in the hospital, even though they may uh, appear unconscious and, and those kinds of things, they can hear and, and they do know. And one of the things that I determined while uh, my dad was in the hospital was even when the doctors were coming in to give us reports, I'd say, can we step outside in the hallway? Because I didn't want him to hear whatever news it was or whatever was being said, let us hear that and let us deal with that. I want him to work on getting well, you know, because that, that's what I wanted, you know, that's what I wanted for him. Um, it was unique with my mother and devastating in that with COVID, we could not go into the hospital to see her. We could not be with her. We could not be by her side. That's probably the most hurtful part of, of, uh, of all of it. And that kind of wells something up on the inside of me, just thinking about the fact that she was there by herself. And um, so, but, um, you know, um, God is in every place. And in, and though we couldn't be there, my, 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 my belief is that um, he's a very present help in trouble. And so, um, and so I believe that, that, um, that even in the midst of all of that, 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 uh, that she was fine. And so, so yeah, it, it, it's been, it's been a challenge. This COVID has been, um, it's a monster. I, I hate COVID. I hate COVID. I hate what it's done to this nation, this world, to families, um, you know, and so, yeah, it's so, so, and, and we just don't know. It's out there and you just don't know. So yeah, tell your, tell your, tell your loved ones that you love them. Um, let go of, of hurtful stuff, feelings, things that you've held on to, those things, because at, at the end of the day, those things really do not matter. And, um, and you want your heart to be free um, to love them on that, on that bed or wherever, wherever it is. And you want your heart to be free. If you lose them unexpectedly, you don't want to have regret and, and dread. And, and, you know, I think that that would, um, that's not my experience, but I think that that would just, I, I would still be in the throes of grief if, if, if that were the case for me. So, um, yeah, I think that's all I want to say about it. Thank you so much, Mrs. Janine Lewis. Beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us tonight. And it is in the storytelling. Uh, we know of him in pastoral care and counseling um, in the African-American community is Dr. Edward Wimberly, who is like the father of care and counseling. And he certainly subscribes to what Ms. Janine Lewis has said about going to therapy, going to counseling, going to group therapy to get some help during these times of COVID, 
and during these times of death and dying experiences. It's okay, and our people who look like us, we've got to constantly reiterate the importance of seeing a pastoral counselor, seeing a therapist, joining a grief or bereavement group to help you name the feelings and what's going on with your beautiful story. Uh, yes, she, she, she didn't, you, it doesn't appear that she dwelled on why God, but many of us, and I, I, I want to set you free tonight by saying it's okay to say, why God? Why me? It's okay to be angry, disappointed, befuddled, begruntled at our God. God can handle our feelings of hurt and disappointment. Yes, we say in our church, he'll wipe away our tears. He certainly will. But he also will stand up in us to stand and go forth and get some help so that we can name the honest feelings of the loss of our loved ones. And it's okay to name those feelings in a safe space and a safe place so that you can be healed and be made whole again. I'm so glad that Ms. Janine talked about the joy and the things that she shared with her parents, uh, that God uh, has given her some assurance. Uh, she's speaking from a, a voice of being healing, uh, healing as a process, an ongoing process for her. She's encouraged and um, she, know, she knows where her parents are. And um, it's okay to not know some things. It's okay to, to hurt and to cry. And we need to affirm to give people the space to cry. And don't be telling people you've cried long enough. They've been dead a year or two and you're still crying. Yes, I'm still crying. I was at my grandfather's bedside, but I'm still hurting and I'm still crying. Every birthday, I cry about him. Every holiday of his, I, I cry about him. And it's okay to meet people where they are with their tears of hurt and their tears of crying. Uh, someone has said that I think when people have a life-threatening or terminal illness, friends sometimes stay away because they feel they won't know what to say. That's true. Are they afraid? They might say, that's true. What can you say to reassure people who are afraid to visit? You know what? Say nothing. Show up and just say nothing. In hospital chaplaincy and as a clinical pastoral educator, I train students and chaplains to show up at the bedside and it's called ministry of presence. Just being there, just, just showing up, saying nothing. And the prayer is sometimes you just showing up. God knows your heart. God knows you want something to say. And sometimes the best thing to say is absolutely nothing because we put our foot in our mouths and we say the wrong thing and we say something that people don't need to hear and we don't know what why because sometimes we're just afraid to be open and honest and af afraid of our own inner journeys and as Howard Thurman would say the inward journey of ourselves so continue to to be present to name your feelings and guess what my friends feelings are not I'm high and, and blessed and favored. No, a feelings are, I feel terrible. I feel sad. I feel a sense of joy today. I feel lonely. I, I feel, I don't know. I can't even find the words for how I'm feeling. But blessed and highly favored, I'm a child of God. 
Those are not feeling words. And I was fully grown when I discovered in clinical pastor education that those are not feeling words because I grew up in my African-American community saying, I feel fine, thank you. Fine is not a feeling words. Feeling words are overwhelmed, optimistic, surprised, peaceful, safe, trusting, loving, hurting, depressed, ashamed. And again, Dr. Edward Wimberly, the father of black theology, theology, James Cone is the father of black theology, the father of black pastoral care and counseling says, we've got to move from shame to self-worth. We in the black indigenous people of color community, we are people from kings and queens and leaders in God's world. And so if anything, go to that bedside and say, to that dad and to that mom, thank you for being the queen in my life. Thank you for being the king in my life. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to know that I am somebody. And don't let anybody tell you anything different. It's in all of us, not just in some of us. In 1994, Nelson Mandela said it well. It is our light that frightens us, not the darkness. And so encourage people as they are dying to go towards the light. I know it's time to, to turn the thing back over to this conversation back over to Ms. Teresa or Brevel, but Reverend Patricia and Ray, do you have anything else to say? Because you know, I could go on, I can get on my soapbox about shame and self-worth and reclaiming and naming our stories. And uh, Dr. Kleinbell, uh, you're American, father of pastoral care said it this way. We've got, it's the ABC model. Achieve the relationship with the person, boil it down to its bare essentials and make contact with people. And you can do, you know, we've got to use our minds. You can do so much by just sitting in a still place of silence, being quiet and meditating on the transition of your loved ones. <laughs> and saying mentally and spiritually, thank you, I love you, I appreciate you. Ms. Teresa uh, Bravel, you better take over, better take over. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Reverend Patricia Ray, did you have anything else you wanted to share tonight? You said it well. Uh, <laughs> like you say, the most important thing is just being present, walking along beside them, uh, letting them know that you care uh, because you can't fix it, but you can. Let them know that you care, that you love them, you're there for them, and just walking along beside them. Your yeah, presence yeah. make all the difference. Amen. There for them. Amen. And you, y'all have heard this. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And so now is the time in, in this beautiful community to let each other on this screen know how much you care, how much you appreciate them, how much you love them. And whatever you say, I got it on my wall. Give thanks always. Say thank you every day to somebody because tomorrow is not promised to any of us. But thank you, two little words that I and that you forget to say. And people need to hear it while they're walking around, driving and talking. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Zoom members, for being here tonight on this Alaska Black Caucus. Thank you, Ms. Celeste Groudon Hodge. Thank you, Ms. Allison Hurrigan. And thank you, Ms. Teresa Bravell. 
God loves you and so do all of us. Shalom, shalom. And let us find some peace during these unprecedented times. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much, Reverend Dr. Patricia Wilson Cohn, um, for leading this conversation. It's really been so enlightening. Again, thank you to our program participants and of course, all of you for joining us this evening. We also want to thank our caucus members and allies for Change Group for their continuous support. If you would like to join our great organization or link to the Allies for Change group within the Alaska Black Caucus, please visit us at alaskablackcaucus.com. We would also like to thank the municipality of Anchorage. This program was supported by a grant awarded by the municipality of Anchorage, Anchorage Health Department. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this publication program and exhibition are those of the authors. And we do not necessarily reflect the views of the municipality of Anchorage or the Anchorage Health Department. Everyone be sure to join us right here again next Sunday for the Divine Nine Aluminine in Alaska. Until next time, good night, everyone. And thank you so much. Alaska Black Caucus.